We are in awe of Your goodness. We rejoice in Your salvation. We lift up our voices in praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now as You speak to us through Your Word, come, be with us. We welcome You. We welcome You. Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Well, again, I'd like to add my welcome to all of the rest. Welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. My name is Pastor Jim. The joy of serving here as senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship for the last 22 and a half years. It's really interesting. Uh, for the last, oh, I don't know. Let's see, I've been pastoring here 22 and a half years, so I think probably from the very beginning of uh, my time serving here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. One of the prayers that I prayed in the sanctuary um, more times than I can count is that the Lord would release a baptism of joy over Bethel Christian Fellowship. And uh, it's truly a joy to see God answering those prayers over the past many, many years in our calling to be a house of prayer for all nations. There are people here in this congregation who come from 28 different nations, that was our last count, um, from 22 different culture and ethnicities. In addition, we're a family of churches, now up to eight churches. And each of those people and congregations bring with them a unique cultural expression into this house. Experiences, background, education, all kinds of things go into those earthly cultures. One of the things that's been on my heart for a number of years, and the Lord kind of put a phrase into my heart many years ago back when I was doing my doctoral work, and that was um, how do we create a kingdom culture in the context of an intercultural church. And so this summer, Pastor Sam over in Minneapolis and I over here, we've been seeking to unpack what it means to live together as a people who come from so many various backgrounds. How do we live together and experience and walk together in a kingdom culture? One of the things that we've been discovering over these several weeks that we've been unpacking this is that there are different layers to culture. There's the external layer of our practices, which which really are the the most um, visible external things around culture. The, The clothes we wear, the food we eat, the festivals, the ways in which we express celebration, all kinds of different things go into that external practices. But Underlying those practices are a set of values which kind of get a little bit deeper into um, the things that they, they really inform and form the various practices that we have. Things like time, authority, um, you know, there's just, just a, a number of different kinds of values that inform our practices. And we've looked at several of those over the last several weeks. And then central to this, kind of at the heart of culture and cultural context is our worldview. 
And I'm going to give a definition for that in a few minutes. But it's really the it's really the iceberg. It's the thing way below the surface. It's our presuppositions and our assumptions about how the world works around us. And it informs really all of our values and all of our practices. And what I've been submitting to you over these last several weeks and would submit to you again this morning is this reality. I believe that there is a kingdom culture which transcends all earthly cultures and transforms our earthly cultural worldview values and practices. Would you say with me transcends? And say transforms. Those are two key words here. I believe that there's a kingdom culture which transforms, transcends sort of earthly cultures, time and space, generational. I believe that there is a kingdom culture that transcends all earthly cultures and languages and backgrounds. And that that culture, that kingdom culture, actually brings about transformation of each of our earthly cultures. Because how many of you know that whatever your background is, you know, right, Arthur, your culture is right? Right? All of us. Right? Your cultures? All of us. I mean, when you walk into another culture, earthly culture, and they do things different from your culture, your instinctive reaction is, why are they doing that wrong? Don't they know the right way? So, what I am submitting to you is that every one of our earthly cultures, in one way, shape, or form, is disformed and needs to be reformed into his kingdom culture. You with me so far? Okay? Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The the cultural pattern, the worldview, values, and practices of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the invitation here, the invitation of transformation is an invitation of repentance and believing. Recognizing and acknowledging where we are bent and broken and deformed and and in some ways disoriented and finding ourselves getting reoriented through repentance and believing the good news. So this is the invitation this morning to you and to me as we're gathered here in this place and all who will listen to this message. I invite you, as Jesus does, He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, my kingdom culture is here, therefore repent and believe. Begin to change in the very core patterns of your life, not being conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Our key scripture here has been from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 45. Remember here, this is right at the beginning of the um, 
the next phase of the scriptures. The gospels begin with the life and the story and the reality of Jesus and his earthly ministry here. And then in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that after Jesus died and was resurrected and when he was still on the earth, speaking and teaching, it says that he taught his followers, he taught them about the kingdom of God. He taught them about the kingdom of God. And now in Acts chapter 2, after the Spirit of God has come down upon them, and they have been now released into their life together, they begin to live out this kingdom culture. And it tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so over the last several weeks we've been unpacking this portion of Scripture and discovered these things about kingdom culture, that it is a culture of living truth. It's a culture of koinonia. It's a culture of covenant. It's a culture of dependence, a culture of awe, and a culture of generosity. And as much as I would love the opportunity to remind us this morning of all of the things that we've talked to you up to this point, I will resist that temptation and encourage you instead to pick up a CD and PowerPoints from the back or pull it off of the website if you've missed some of these because these have all been building on one another and I would really encourage you as we discover together what it means to live in this kingdom culture, to grab hold of the, of the words that, that, that we've been speaking these last several weeks. Now this morning, we continue with our passage in Acts 2, and we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And it's that particular phrase that I want to focus our attention on this morning. With glad and sincere hearts. Because I think it gives us a window in to a kind of culture that existed within the early church, a culture that the Lord wants to continue to embed into the reality of our life together, and that is a culture of Joy. A culture of joy. So for our remaining moments together, what I'd like to do is briefly unpack this for us. Because I think that the Lord wants to speak some truths that we've already... I love when God goes before and puts an exclamation point on His Word before I even get a chance to preach it. And I felt like that's what happened today. From the scriptures that Steve began with, this morning in his testimony, through all of the testimonies and the prayer and everything that took place and embedded in that time and the worship itself this morning, I believe God has already begun to speak to us about this culture of joy. So I want to begin again with worldview because I believe that God always does transformation from the inside out. If you try to do transformation from the outside in, it will frequently end up like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It doesn't really matter in the long run. What you really want to do is bring transformation that starts from the inside. And a worldview is a set of presuppositions or assumptions that we hold consciously or subconsciously about the basic makeup 
of our world. And when we're talking about a culture of joy, there are really two worldviews that I want us to press into this morning. The first is what I would call a kingdom culture, the kingdom culture worldview, and I've simply entitled this, God is good. Here's a cultural worldview that I believe is scripturally a kingdom culture worldview, which is fundamentally founded on this principle in reality that God is good. Here's how, I, here's how I've, I've phrased it for us. The kingdom of God is fundamentally rooted in the rule and reign of the King, Jesus Christ. This King, Jesus, is entirely good in all his thoughts and workings towards his subjects. He is fully in control of all things, and in his sovereignty he works all things together for the good of his subjects. Denise read Romans 8.28 earlier today. I didn't ask her to read that. This is the foundation for joy which is substantial. By that I mean it has a substance because of the goodness of God. Joy is substantial because it is rooted down into a reality of the goodness of God. Here's a great scripture, Isaiah 25, 9. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. At the heart of the goodness of God is His salvation. Oh, happy day. Is He washed my sins away? Joy, true joy, is rooted in the reality of our salvation in God. And that's something that, as again we heard this morning, can't, you know, in God's hands, I mean, that's something that is unshakable by circumstances around us. Now, this worldview is in direct contrast to and conflict with another worldview, which is a common earthly worldview. Again, remember, worldviews are subconscious. They're often not something that somebody would necessarily articulate on their tongue. However, the reality is functioning in this way. And that worldview is God is gone. God is good or God is gone. Now, in this cultural worldview... The kingdom of this world is fundamentally rooted in the rule and reign of humanity. God is gone. Either he never existed or he is simply entirely absent from any ongoing interaction with humanity. Either humans are in control of things or perhaps it is forces beyond human control like karma or fate. There is no foundation for joy, only a relentless pursuit of happiness. This happiness is not substantial, but circumstantial, because it is dependent upon happenstance. When things are good, there is happiness. When things are not good, there is despair. This is an underlying worldview. 
that our earthly culture promotes quite extensively in so many subtle and unconscious ways. You see it all around you all the time, the relentless pursuit. That's right built into our constitution by gum, the pursuit of happiness rather than the receiving of joy. We're constantly, when happiness, when this worldview, we're constantly driven by that pursuit of happiness. When we recognize the goodness of God, there is a place, there's an openness within us that leads us into joy. You're driven to pursue happiness. You're led by the Spirit into joy. Fundamentally different worldview. The teacher, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. There's much more that we could unpack here in the God is good, God is gone contrast, but I want to say this, in the God is gone, there's not a whole lot of purpose for life. Life really becomes pretty meaningless. The one at the end with the most toys wins. Really? Is that what my life is all about? Or is there something more substantial? I would submit to you that there is something more substantial, and that is joy. The values are the cultural ideals that link the abstract philosophy or the worldview to concrete practices. So the values are the thing between worldview and practices. And the value that we're talking about this morning is the kingdom culture value of joy. Let me turn your attention to a familiar scripture, one that was written by someone who learned about joy and was speaking into a people who were struggling with incredibly different, difficult circumstances. Circumstances far more grievous and suffering than we have experienced here in America, 21st century. I mean, we're talking about horrible persecution. So Peter writes these words. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now here's the substance of joy. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, The salvation of your soul. Filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's that's the culture of joy. 
inexpressible and glorious. It's beyond words. It's beyond circumstance. It's beyond sometimes what you can even articulate. I know that you've experienced this at one point or another in your life. Some, even in the midst of, and, and, and I know that I've experienced this and I trust you have as well, even in the midst of sometimes the darkest, most difficult times, suddenly you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It doesn't make sense. Because it's not circumstantial, it's substantial. It comes from God. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was receiving his joy through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Father, Jesus, the triune God, Jesus here on earth, he's filled, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from God. You've heard the phrase, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away? The joy, I mean, happiness comes through circumstance around us in the world and it can go away in an instant. All of us have had the experience of having a, a, a wonderful new toy. Whatever it is. And then something happens. Or for me, I'm, I'm like, I'm really bad on pants. Okay? So every time I get a new pair of pants, the very first meal I eat, I'm wearing it. And it's usually on my light khaki pants, you know? And it's like, all right, I'm not happy anymore. That's a trite example. But in the big stuff of life, right? comes from God, and it's shared with one another. I love this. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples together, remember, sorrows shared are sorrows halved. Joys shared are joys doubled. Did you catch that? When you share your sorrow with another, somehow it it, it divides the sorrow. It, it, right? The sorrow feels less weighty when you share it with someone else. The joy when you share it with somebody gets doubled. Right, Kay? Every time you get up here and, you know, your joy just increases because you've been able to share it and it's infectious. So let's talk about practices and then we'll be done for this morning. Because we've already heard a lot and you've already practiced a lot of joy. We're going to practice a little more at the end as we worship. But the highly visible and easily noticeable cultural expressions encompassing such things as food, fashion, festivals, and simply the patterns of daily life, the things that we do with our life, the patterns of life. There are two that I want to bring before us this morning, and they're embedded in that scripture that we read earlier from Acts 2.46. Because these were ways in which the congregation of the early church lived out their kingdom culture value of joy. The first is sincerity. Here's Here's my definition of sincerity when it says, with glad and sincere hearts. The word in the Greek literally means simplicity of heart, but it has all these different connotations, and here's how I would 
Here, here's how I'd like to define it for us this morning. It's living open-heartedly with nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove, and nothing to lose. This open-heartedness is marked by humility, transparency, and generosity. All of those are embedded in the word simplicity. They are all connotations of the same word. So there's an open-hearted living that happens when you're walking in a culture of joy. Because you got nothing to hide. You got nothing to fear. You got nothing to prove. You got nothing to lose. You're living in that open-hearted, free place. It's a wonderful place. I, I actually visit there every once in a while. I'm a guest sometimes over there. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping as I grow in the Lord to actually begin to live there. I'd really like to live there more. I'd like that to be my home place rather than a place I visit. Right? How about you? I mean, we saw some of that this morning. I mean, that's what, that's what Joel was contending for this morning is this place. Sincerity. It's a byproduct. It's a practice. It's a way to practice joy is to simply begin to practice open-heartedness, transparency, generosity, honesty, humility. Genuineness. You see, a culture of joy isn't a culture of artificial happy face. Akuna matata, no worries at all. We'll just put on our smiley face and all will be well. Well, all might not be well. But you can have joy in the midst of suffering. And you can be open-hearted to share your sorrow and suffering with the people around you. And when you share that and bring the gift of your need, it actually opens the door for this culture of joy to come and to continue to grow. I know it feels counterintuitive, but it's the way it is. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from you being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, where there's that koinonia word that we've talked about, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's that place. Make my joy complete. Living that way, like Christ, with that kind of attitude. And it's a discipline that you step into every single day. Second is gratitude. And here's how I'm defining gratitude. Gratitude I'm defining as living open-heartedly with an attitude of thanksgiving and praise. This open-heartedness is marked by deep gratitude expressed through exultation and worship individually and corporately. In fact, alongside of that with glad and sincere heart, the word there is exuberant exultation. Like, it's, it's just bubbling out from you and you can't contain it. This morning, Annette and I were reading a... We have a daily devotional and we're reading it. And, and um, one, one guy... I, I, oh, boy. I should have just brought it with me. Then I'd be able to not butcher it. But it, it's an old, old um, devotional. It's 100 years old. And he was talking about a Scottish preacher who was always going around, praise the Lord... And somebody was kind of rebuking him for saying praise the Lord all the time. He said, you know, if you keep doing that, it's going to kind of become a habit. 
with you and he says, that's good. I want it to be a habit. <laughs> like that's a bad thing. That the words, the things that are bubbling out of our lives is praise and thanksgiving and gratitude. And it's a choice. It's a discipline to develop that attitude of gratitude. But it's part of the cultural expression of a culture of joy. Scripture puts it this way. Revelation 19 says, we're going to be doing this forever. I heard John, the apostle, is seeing something in the heavenlies. He's having an open vision. He says, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. what we get to look forward to. And I just love when we get to start here, now, corporately. And individually, it's a choice. And, it, you know, if you come to worship and you worship based on your circumstances, your worship experience is going to be really up and down, right? Yeah, they can sing that stuff, but that's not how I'm feeling, so that just wouldn't, it wouldn't be honest. Really. So, it's not honest to proclaim the greatness of God even if you don't feel it right this moment? I think he's worthy of being declared good and great regardless of what your particular circumstance looks like. That's really a choice. It's not dishonest to praise him and exalt him. In fact, it's, it's actually biblical. It's what the apostles did when they were in prison, and it's what broke. See, that's what Pastor Lidovic led us into this morning that was so good. He invited those of us who were suffering, who were going through, to because praise exaltation, worship breaks something in the heavenlies and in us. I've experienced it. Have you? I know I have. All right. So, here's my question. How can we embrace the kingdom culture value of joy? Very simple. Ask. Restore to me. I, I mean, it's pretty... Anybody notice that like half of the scriptures I've used this morning were already read? Yeah, huh. Right. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Ask him. Please, Lord, restore. If your life isn't marked by joy, ask him to begin to mark your life. I mean, let's be honest. For a lot of the world, the face of Christianity is not a face of joy. But man, when there is a face of joy, how magnetic that is. Because the world is actually looking for something real, and they've discovered that happiness is pretty fleeting. To see... 
I love this from Isaiah 63. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This is actually Isaiah 61.3, not Isaiah 63.1. Isaiah 61.3. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Receive the oil of joy to break off the yoke. Receive it. And then release it. The best way to walk into joy and to build the culture of joy is to give it away. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said, for with shrieks, Impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. God wants to release joy out from us into our city, into our situations. He wants us, remember, I've used this illustration many times, but I'm going to remind you again. He does not want you to be a thermometer reflecting the... Uh, ambient temperature around you. He wants you to be a thermostat that changes. Change the atmosphere around you. Your workplace is an atmosphere of despair or frustration or, you know, just general yuckiness. Man, I've worked in those places. Believe me, I have worked in those places. And God, your attitude can be a thermostat to begin to change the atmosphere. All right. On the bus. When I was a bus boy, when I worked in a factory, I've been in the situations that have been very corrosive. You can change the atmosphere. But you're a thermostat, not a thermometer. And you can begin to infect others with joy. And believe me, they'll be beating down your door. I worked in a restaurant. Man, I had every day, every single day I worked. One summer I asked the Lord for a divine appointment every single day. Every day somebody came and talked to me about the troubles and difficulties they were facing. I was a, what, 19-year-old kid. And all these adults, older adults would come and talk to me about struggles they were having, and I'd get to listen and pray with them. You can change the atmosphere to one of joy. Worship team, come on up. Thank you so much for faithfully leading us this morning. I believe that God wants to embed and work into our life together culture of joy. Again, not some kind of artificial happy face happiness, but a deep, lasting, abiding joy. It has been my prayer for 22 and a half years over this house, and it will continue to be my prayer, and I prayed it as recently as this morning before service, that God would do a baptism of joy among us. Because I believe that it's God's heart. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy is its a gift from Him. It comes from Him. It's not something we work up. It's something He sends to us. So we ask, Lord, right now, 
on behalf of your people, would you stand to your feet if you're physically able to stand up right now? And if you could, if you would just join me in lifting your hands to the Lord, I'd like to ask in a posture of surrender and submission to the Lord. God, I ask for those who need to have their joy restored today, the joy of their salvation. Lord, those who are suffering with many diverse kinds of trials, these have come that your faith may be proved, that your faith may be tested and developed and grow so that it may come forth like gold. God is purifying. He's revealing more. But his desire in the midst of it is to release his joy to you. Receive it now. The oil of joy, a garment of praise. Receive now the oil of joy and a garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness. Go in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Anoint with your oil right now. Anoint with oil. Each one, God, whose hands are raised before you in surrender right now. Each one whose heart is raised before you in surrender right now. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. We cry out to you, Son of David, have mercy. Pour out now in Jesus' name. I pray that you would release your joy into and then through us, God, so that the world, that there might be great joy in the city of St. Paul, great joy in the city of Minneapolis, great joy in the cities of this earth. God, as your people, as you release your life, Jesus, Jesus, would you cry out with me, Jesus, come on, cry out, Jesus, come on, cry out together, Jesus, we cry out to you, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus, we need you. Come and break off every chain. Break off, oh God, everything that binds your people now. Come, lift off the heavy yokes and the burdens. Come, Lord, with your joy. Hallelujah, we're going to sing one song in response, and as we do, just open your hands if you would. Just open your hands. Ah, Jesus. This morning we stand before you as a people. And I hear your word right now rising up in my spirit. Saying, arise, shine. For your light has come. Thick darkness is over the earth. But the Lord rises upon you. So it's time to arise and shine. And release the light of His truth. And the life of His joy. Radiating life and joy. That's our call as a house of prayer for all nations. And so Jesus, I pray now with hands open, people. I pray that you, that we together may be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. May the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours. 
sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his love, the banner of his life, the banner of his goodness, the banner of his joy waving over your life until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you, people of God. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.